Welcome to the Lagan Valley Vineyard Podcast. We are a community passionate about seeing the Lagan Valley area filled with the presence and the teachings of Jesus. If you would like to connect with us or if we can help you in any way, please visit our website, laganvalleyvineyard.com. Our reading today is from Matthew 11, verse 28 to 30. If you feel comfortable, you can put your hands out in front of you. This is just an outward expression of an inward place where we say that we want to receive this scripture to the deepest parts of our soul. Come to me, all who you are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. From my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Well, good morning, everyone. Let's try that one more time. Good morning, everyone. Hey, well, welcome to the vineyard. And for those of you who are are new, my name is James and I'm the worship pastor here. And uh, can I start off by saying well done for you all uh, coming out this morning. I know that this weekend is a weekend that people um, kind of mostly go on their holidays. So well done. You're definitely our most committed people here. Um, I feel like we should maybe get you all a prize or something, but maybe Andy and Stu can bring you back something from their holidays this week. Anyway, let me see by a show of hands, how many of you have ever played in a sports team before or play in a sports team? Just raise your hand for me. Yeah? Okay, quite a lot of you, yeah? Brilliant. Well, Well, for me, I grew up playing football. I played all through Ballycarrick Maddie Primary School. Anybody go to Ballycarrick Maddie? Oh, yes. We, oh, Jenny, I did not know that. Um, then the whole way through Laurel Hill. Anybody go to Laurel Hill? Fantastic. Two or three of you, brilliant. And then after Laurel Hill, I, uh, I decided to join Derryaki Football Club outside of school. And for some reason or other, I always ended up playing right back And I was never all that good at football, but I did have this incredibly God-given talent, which some of you will know about. And that was when I go to tackle, anytime I went to tackle the opposition, even if I didn't get the ball, the player never seemed to get past me. They always seemed to trip over my leg or trip over my foot, which is pretty weird, right? I know what you're thinking. But I kind of knew the whole way uh, and the whole time through playing football that It just wasn't really my thing. And I kind of started this journey of trying to discover a different hobby for myself. And after some time, I realized I had a bit of rhythm. So I eventually persuaded my parents to get me a drum kit. And within my first year, I had my first gig in the John Hewitt Bar in Belfast. The band I was playing for was called Flying Loco. I know what you think, really cool name. And it was some kind of terrible attempt at kind of Arctic Monkeys meets Coldplay. Very embarrassing to say the least. But I'll never forget mum and dad coming along. Dad, in fact, was my roadie. He helped me get down. He helped me get my drum kit in, set my kit up, and take it down after with me. But as every good parent, I imagine, 
after every song, they clapped and cheered as if we'd just like smashed Glastonbury main stage, <laughs> which, do you know what? It made me go slightly red, but I totally loved it. I thought I'd give you a bit of a laugh this morning. Here's some of my old band picks. Um, yep, that's me in the back there, kind of trying to look super cool. Next one, Michael. That's me. I, I don't really know what's going on. There's like a bunch of eggs on the snare drum. I'm not really sure. I was wearing a waistcoat. Um, that's me playing the Empire in Belfast. That's when I started getting a wee bit better. Um, on to the next one. I don't know what's going on. We all went through that emo stage, right? Kind of like side, hair over to the side. Is there any more there? And let, yeah, let's just leave it at that. So, um, oh, is there no, oh, wow. <laughs> oh my goodness, I really regret doing that. Anyway, um, but we've, we've also had uh, similar examples of supportive parents, haven't we, this week? Has anybody been watching Wimbledon? Yeah? Fantastic, yeah, well, Andy Murray, Serena Williams, their parents are always there year in, year out, cheering them on. And regardless of the outcome, you can see that they love them and that they're super proud of them. They're super proud of their kids. How many of you know this, that when you're doing something in life that's really important to you, it means so much, doesn't it? Having someone there that is proud of you, no matter what the outcome, that they'll love you and they'll be proud of you. Speaking in front of rooms for me is a, it's a fairly new thing, but having my beautiful wife at the front just smiling at me, kind of cheering me on, just kind of makes me feel okay. Like I could literally be up here laying an egg in front of you all and she would be proud of me, right? She's shaking her head. Okay, maybe not. Um, but, but lucky for you, I'm not going to be talking about laying eggs, but I'm going to be continuing on with our new series. Stu kicked off last week, The Unforced Rhythms of Grace. Stu did a fantastic job of pointing out that there is an epidemic of busyness in the race of humanity. And we all seem to feel this need that when we're asked how we're doing, that we need to respond with, we're busy. As some sort of justification that we're doing something with our lives rather than wasting them away. But what if the very thing that was giving a sense of worth in our lives was the very thing that was making them feel worthless? This summer, we want to slow down and let Jesus tend to our innermost being, not for some sort of quick fix, but for him to do the deep work of reshaping and reforming the rhythms of our lives. Jesus once said, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, for I will give you rest. What did Jesus mean here? Come to me when you're tired and you need a good sleep. Come to me when you're riddled with the voice of worries and I will give you some sort of peace and quiet. Not really, not that Jesus can't do that, but what Jesus is getting at was actually that rest isn't just something available to us when we need it, but rather it is actually a way of life. And the question we want to look at today is how do we live into the rest and assurance that we don't have to perform for God's acceptance of us? Last week we saw that for Jesus, his sense of acceptance came before his achievements. 
He heard the Father's voice on the day that he got baptized, and he knew the Father's heart was for him from that point on. Even before he got to work publicly, he was able to rest in the assurance that he was loved and treasured by his Father. He didn't have to strive for significance because he knew the unshakable, unending, unfailing love of the Father that didn't require him to work to have his sense of worth. So before we move on, why don't you close your eyes? I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna jump straight back in. So Father God, we thank you that you are for us and that you love us and that you approve of us before we do anything, God. You accept us. And God, I pray that we would experience that love and acceptance this morning. Come and soften our hearts and open our ears, God, so that we may hear your voice clearly this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Well, how many of you were around at the start of Lagan Valley Vineyard? Raise your hand if you were in Hasm's Lane. Anybody at Hasm's? Yeah, great. Well, I've been around from the start, so I win. No, I'm just kidding. But um, I, I have been around since kind of day one. And uh, I'll never forget the first morning that we had in Hasm's Lane. I was kind of there helping set up chairs, do coffee, clean, whatever kind of needed done. But I'll never forget the worship that this morning that morning, and it was, it was Dana who was leading worship, and for those of you who don't know Dana, she's married to our senior pastor, Andy, here, and uh, for those of you that have heard Dana's voice, you will know that she has quite the, she has just a remarkable voice, it's absolutely stunning, and she was leading worship that morning, and I'll never forget the place that she led us to, and the, the kind of experience of the presence of God I had during worship. Anyway, I kind of left that morning thinking the worship was fantastic and it was great. And uh, later on in the week, Andy arranged to meet me in the venue, which was in Hasm's Lane. And we met that week and he said, James, I have a, a kind of offer for you. And I was like, what are you, like, what are you offering? And he said, um, like, James, I would love you to like, take on and lead all the worship stuff here at the vineyard. To which I was like, Andy, like, like your wife, like she's doing a great job. Like, I mean, I couldn't, I couldn't kind of like compete with that. You know, like she's, a, she's incredible. Um, maybe like I could come uh, alongside and maybe help a wee bit. And he was like, no, 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 James. I want you to kind of take on the worship stuff in the vineyard. I want you to kind of lead it. And I was like, like, Andy, like, are you sure about this? Like, you haven't heard me lead worship before. He's like, no, 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 no. I, I would love you to do it. I was like, okay, no problem. Like, what, like, what do you want me to do first? He's like, I want you to lead worship this Sunday coming. So I kind of left and was like, oh my goodness. Like, I have to follow the Dana Masters. <laughs> like, for those of you that heard Dana, she is just outstanding and she's used to singing to crowds of hundreds of people. And me, like, I, I've just been singing in my bedroom to myself up until that point. So I, I kind of go into this spiral of anxiety and just feeling like I'm not good enough and all of this kind of stuff. And this voice all week had been, like, irritating me, saying, like, James, like, why did you say yes to this? Like, like Dana, you, like, you have to follow her. It's going to be awful. It's going to be a car crash, blah, 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 blah. So anyway, this kind of, this went on for a couple of weeks. And I finally decided to meet up with Andy and tell him. And after a few weeks, I told him about this voice that 
It wasn't going away. In fact, it was actually getting louder. And I had to tell him that, that every Sunday before I led worship, I normally had to grab somebody. It was, it was normally Chris. And I would we'd go out into the hallway and he would just pray for me that, that this kind of anxiety that I would maybe feel during leading that set or maybe I wouldn't sing the song correctly or people wouldn't sing or something like that. All those kind of thoughts were um, occupying my headspace that they would go away. And um, so I was telling Andy all about this and I'll never forget that day what he said to me. Little did I know what Andy was about to say to me in that moment would change my life forever. And he said this, James, sometimes you're gonna lead worship and it'll be great. It'll be fantastic. Sometimes, James, though, you're gonna lead worship and it'll just be okay, it'll be grand. Other times, James, you're gonna lead worship and it's not gonna be that great, to be honest. But you know what, James? You'll always be a great son. You'll always, always, always be a great son. And so from that moment on, I knew that I didn't have to worry about performing well to please Andy. I didn't have to have a perfect worship set in order for God to be proud of me. But something shifted in me that day. I realized I didn't have to work for my worth. I didn't have to serve for my significance. And I didn't have to achieve anything to feel accepted, but actually knowing first and foremost, before I worked or served, my identity as a son of God should be the place and the starting point in which I should do everything from. Let me share this verse with you. Some of you will be familiar. Some of you may even have this as a fridge magnet on your fridge. It's Jeremiah chapter one, verse five. And it says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. This was God speaking to Jeremiah, who was one of the major prophets in the Old Testament. And here we see before Jeremiah had the chance to do anything, before Jeremiah had the chance to say anything, God knew him, God loved him, and he was proud of him. And this is also true for us folks today. Before you even had a chance to figure out what you were good at, God loved you, God was proud of you. And this is what I believe this morning God wants to remind us of today. So let me ask you this, do you know this? Do you know that God is proud of you? In fact, let me take that one step further. Do you believe this? Do you believe that God is proud of you? Or one step further again, are you living a life that reflects that God is proud of you before you do anything? See, this is one of the reasons I believe that, that we end up living a hurried life. Our lives are so full of rhythms, of stuff that we're doing in order to feel some sort of sense of worth, in order to feel significant, in order to gain some sort of achievement. But what if we understood our relationship with God doesn't operate on our level of performance, but it simply is based upon approval and love from the start. One of the biggest challenges in all of this is that the structure and the setup of everything we do operates, right, based upon performance. Take your job, for example. 
you're not going to get that promotion or you're not going to get that pay rise based upon bad attitude, showing up late, and a low performance level. No, right? You'll get the promotion or the pay rise due to your high performance. Let's take sport, for example. You never see people handing out gold medals that aren't all that good, right? The person who wins the gold medal has worked hard their whole life, has trained hard, has won all the races that they need to in order to be in that final race to be competing for the gold medal. And this is how our world works, but it actually isn't a bad thing. God designed us to work and perform. Work is a gift from God and excellence is a value that we have in this church We actually want to work hard and perform well and do things to the best of our ability. Colossians chapter 3 verse 23 says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. But as we do this, we can't let the performance mentality which says, as long as I perform well, I'll be approved and I'll be accepted to seep into how we see our relationship with God. You see, as we partner with God to bring change and renewal to the world around us, we get to do this from a place of knowing that we don't have to serve in order to deserve God's love, but that we get to serve because it's God's original design for us. And as we do that, we get to rest in the truth that we don't have to earn his approval or strive to be seen by God the Father, but that he loves us before we do a thing, before we lift a finger, God loves us. So the best story that helps us understand this idea is a story that Jesus told about a man with two sons. So why don't you turn in your Bibles, there should be a Bible on your left or on your right, to uh, the book of Luke. And we're gonna look at Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And uh, once you find your place there, we're gonna kind of be jumping in and out of this story for the rest of this morning. So once you find it, we'll read a bit, but keep your place there because we're gonna jump back in at some point. Okay, so Luke chapter 15 Verse 11, we're going to read down to 19. Says this Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the young son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, 
I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hard servants. So, in the first few verses of this story, we are introduced to the first son. He's just taken his father's inheritance for himself, which was basically saying that he wished his father wasn't alive. And if that wasn't bad enough, the story tells us that he squandered all the money on while living. And once this happens, we then see the son beginning to form this kind of perception of what his father's heart would be because of his choices that he wouldn't be able to go back and act as if things were normal, but rather the only way back into his father's house would be if he apprenticed himself to one of his father's hired men, earned the, like learned the trade, and then earned back the money that he owed his father. Why do you think the son was telling himself this? Why do you think he was telling himself this? Well, for all you Brene Brown fans, um, any Brene Brown fans, yeah, if you haven't watched it, go on to Netflix, it is awesome. Well, in verse 19, we see the story that the son was telling himself. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. This is what he was telling himself. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, which kind of makes sense, right? Let's remember, he's blown everything And not only that, he's done it in such a way that he's dragged the family name through the gutters. So his assumption, which is based upon his recent performance, tells himself that he's gonna have to go back and prove himself in order to have a place in his father's house. He let his assumption of this then be superimposed upon his father's heart. But we get to see in the next part of the story, he was in for a surprise. So let's jump back in. Luke chapter 15, verse 20 to 24. Verse 20. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. So they began to celebrate. This was the surprise. The father completely subverted the son's assumption of his father. Instead of distancing himself, he ran out to meet his son as soon as he saw him a far way off. This would have been a big deal in that tradition and culture for the father of a family to lift up his robes and to be seen running with his bare legs out. And like I said, this obviously would have been a surprise to the son, but what was to follow would have been as well. 
You see, the next thing the father does is he asks for the best robe in the house. And the best robe in the house would have actually have been the father's own robe. And what the father is saying to the son in this moment, I'm not gonna wait until you've paid off your debt. I'm not gonna make you work or wait um, to earn your way back into this family. I'm gonna simply take you back I will cover your nakedness and your poverty and I will replace your rags with my robes. The father then went on to place the family ring on his finger, sandals on his feet, and he sent one of his servants up to Moira, Hannon's mate, to find some of the finest fillet steak that he could find. I'm just kidding. If you've just came back in the room, that is not in the text. The father asked one of his servants to go and kill the fattened calf and prepare for a celebration was about to take place. Jesus, the master storyteller here, was portraying a beautiful message to his audience that day, but also for us today. He's saying to us all today, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, for I will give you rest. The son was weary of what his father's view of him was and burdened with the guilt and the shame of the choices that he had made and therefore was living into this story that he was no longer worthy to be the father's son. But Jesus shows us that the story the son was telling himself was not true and was contrary to what the father's was. In the story, Jesus shows the father pouncing on his son with love, not only before he had a chance to clean himself up and to prove an evidence and change of heart, but he didn't even give him a chance to recite his repentance speech. So in other words, the father restored identity to his son instead of requiring him to get busy, working, earning, and performing his way back into the family. It's important to acknowledge that the father's heart here, he was never, um, in, in the story, in the father's heart, the son was never not the son for the, in the father's eyes. He was never banished from coming home. He was never gonna be rejected or he was never gonna be held to the mistakes that he had made. In fact, the opposite. The father was never angry and he was looking out, waiting, holding out for the day that the son would turn around and change his mind and come back home. And this is good news, folks, for some of us today. We don't need to stay in a place of weariness and be burdened down by the weight of our mistakes. God the Father is calling us to come back home today. Come back to the one who loved you when you were in your mother's womb. For he wants you to stop trying to perform your way back into his heart, back into his house, but to come back just as you are. So that you can experience the rest and the assurance of his love. And so we move on to the final part of the story where we get to meet the elder son. So let's jump back in. Luke chapter 15, verse 25. Meanwhile, the elder son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. 
So he called one of his servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The elder brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this, this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. You see, unlike the younger son went on a journey of self-discovery, the elder son lived a life of moral conformity, or as we would say here in Northern Ireland, he was good living. But what's interesting is that Jesus, who was telling the story, leaves the elder son in an alienated and distant state from the father, which is pretty weird, right? He hadn't made any poor choices. He hadn't blown his inheritance on reckless living. He didn't leave his workstation the whole time. But Jesus was trying to say something to his audience here. You see, his audience would have mainly been the Pharisees, the good living of that time. And they were about sticking to the rules and keeping up a 100% record of good behavior. So in hearing this, it would have left them in complete shock. It was, it was the complete reversal of, of everything they had learned and been taught. Surely it was the elder son, right, that, that deserved the party. But the point Jesus was trying to make to the Pharisees, and dare I say it, some of us who are trying our hardest to be good living, is that like the elder brother, we are living into the story that we have somehow, because of our performance, earned and kept our place in heaven and somehow have an upper hand in our relationship with God. The elder brother makes this very clear in verse 29 when he says to the father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed any of your orders, yet you've never given me a young goat to go celebrate with my friends. But this young son of yours comes back after he's wasted all his money on foolish living and prostitutes, comes home, and you, you kill the fattened calf for him. In other words, what he's saying here is, I've earned my place in this family. I deserve what he's getting. He's been out living this crazy life. Surely I'm the one that should be getting the party. He's been out living a crazy life. Dad, you are so silly. Dad, you are so stupid. I can't believe you're rewarding him because of his terrible efforts of being a son. And the father in this moment I'm, I'm guessing, takes a moment, stands back. He realizes in this moment, his eldest son has been working for him with the mindset of a slave rather than a son. He's been trying to earn and work for the favor of his dad. And his dad recognizes this. 
And he tries to bring clarity to the son's identity in this moment by saying, my son, you're always with me. Everything, absolutely everything I have is yours. And at this point in telling the story, Jesus has everyone. The father completely deconstructs the whole story that the elder son has been telling himself by reminding him this, that everything I have, it's always been yours. It's, it's your birthright and you haven't done anything, son, to earn it. Because you've served me doesn't mean you've deserved it. It's just always been yours. Everything I have as a father is yours, my son. And I'm sure the father appreciated his son um, in terms of what he was doing, like working really hard out on the farm. Remember what we said, work is a gift from God and excellence is a value. But the problem here was that the elder son was working for acceptance rather than working from acceptance. And because of that, he was blind to see the free gift of love and acceptance the father had for him all along. And guess what? We get caught up in this trap all the time, don't we? We tell ourselves, if I can just keep doing the right thing, saying the right thing, thinking the right thing, well then maybe, just maybe, God will deal me a good hand in life and at least I'll get my ticket into heaven. But when we think this way, that based upon our own merit and based upon our own performance, that we have somehow earned a good life and the acceptance of God in our lives, we actually undo the complete and finished work of the cross in our own lives. Tim Keller puts it like this. He says, if like the elder brother, you believe that God ought to bless you and help you because you have worked so hard to obey him and be a good person, well then Jesus may be your helper. He may be your example, even your inspiration, but he is not your savior. You are serving as your own savior. Very provocative language here from Tim Keller. But how many times do we find ourselves in that place working hard for God's acceptance rather than working hard with God's acceptance? You see, there's nothing we have done to earn God's acceptance, which is key to the series actually that we're in, the unforced rhythms of grace. That word grace means unmerited favor. It's not merited based upon our performance, it's unmerited, it's a gift, it's a free gift, the gift of Jesus. And we don't get to decide whether we get offered the gift, it has already been given to us through Jesus going and laying down his life on the cross to make a way for us to the Father. So let's stop serving as our own savior and let's let Jesus be our savior. Let's receive the free gift, the free gift of Jesus so that we can live into the unforced rhythms of grace and know the rest and the assurance of his acceptance and his love for us. So Ben, why don't you come on up?
Um, this morning, it, it wouldn't be us if we didn't create a moment for you to respond. And uh, I have a feeling that for some of us this morning, we've maybe been feeling distant, maybe numb, maybe even feeling slightly resentful towards God. And you've been asking and living with the question, God, why are you doing stuff in the lives of people around me, but not, not my own life? But I feel like this morning that God wants to connect with you. God wants to remind you that like the elder son, you've just been putting your head down and getting on with the work, working hard, keeping all the rules and some sort of hope that God will bless you. But God wants to remind you that he is relational. He is not a rule keeper. And he wants to meet and move you from living under religion to living into his rest. The rest and assurance that he loves you and he is proud of you before you do a thing at all. But also that he doesn't want you to feel like you're working for him, but rather you're working with him. So why don't you stand? I feel like the Father wants to exchange your weariness and your burdens of this to living into his rest, the rest and assurance of his unmerited favor, his unmerited grace, and his unmerited love. And if you feel like that's you this morning and you feel like you've been living in this space where you feel distant from the Father, where you feel like you haven't been experiencing him, but you've been seeing him work in the, the lives of the people around you, I wanna invite you today to move from trying to keep, stop, um, stop trying to keep your head down and just getting on with the work um, in the hope that somehow God will bless you and deal you a good hand in life, but actually to lift your head up and to receive the free gift of his love and the free gift of his grace this morning so that you may work hard, not for God, but with God, that you would do it from a place of knowing that you're not a slave, but that you are a son, that you are a daughter of so why don't you go ahead and close your eyes if that is you this morning and you feel like you've just been getting on with it and working hard for God as some sort of way of trying to keep the love of God and the acceptance of God in your life why don't you place your hand on your heart and God we pray this morning for your presence to come God for those of us who are weary and burdened with just continuing to try and earn your acceptance in our lives. God, may we know this morning, God, the love of the Father. God, may we know that we don't have to do anything to keep up your approval, Lord, but that you accept us before we even figure out what we're good at, God, that you accept us before we lift a finger, God, that you love us and that you approve of us, God, when we were in our mother's womb, God. So God, I pray that this morning that you would break this yoke of heaviness and of works, God, and that you would take us from a place of living under religion and rules to living into the rest and the assurance of the Father's love for us. So that as you just continue to receive, I feel like the Father wants to continue to speak over you this morning and to remind you of that. But I also feel that before we jump into a time of worship, that there are some of us here today that 
feel like we have never lived a life that has earned the acceptance of God in our lives. Or at one point in your life, you maybe feel like because of certain choices that you've made, that the consequence to that is God not accepting you or God not loving you. But like the elder brother that could never earn God's love, the younger brother never lost the father's love. So for us today, no matter where life has taken us, what choices we've made, what secret um, challenges and sins that we're maybe trying to deal with, God doesn't want to hear your repentance speech this morning. He sees you from a long way off and he's running up to you with his arms open wide, ready to embrace you, ready for you to experience the love that he has for you. So if that is you this morning, with every eye closed, why don't you just place your hand on your heart? We want to pray for you this morning. So Father God, we thank you for your love. God, we thank you for for Jesus. We thank you for everything that you have done for us, God. And God, I pray that you would break the lie that we're living under that maybe somehow because of a choice we've made, maybe somehow because of some way we have maybe disobeyed you or not kept the rules, God, that we have disqualified ourselves from your love. God, I pray that this morning we would know that there is nothing we can do to disqualify us from your love. All we need to do is to turn around and see you standing with your arms open wide, ready to embrace us. So God, I pray that your love would wipe away the weariness and the burden of guilt and shame that we're carrying in our lives, that somehow we are not good enough for your love, but that we would have a fresh revelation of your heart, God, that we would have a fresh revelation of your love and that we would receive the free gift of your grace this morning, God. So come, Lord. Come and remind us who we are, God. May your voice be the loudest voice in our lives, defining who we are, that we are sons and daughters of you. There's nothing we've done to earn that, but that is just our birthright. So God, come and sing and remind us of our identity this morning. Come remind us of that this morning, Jesus, we pray. this morning just to close we're going to sing a song declaring this truth that not because of anything we've done that we've lost the love and acceptance of God in our life it's nothing we've done that has earned it but we are who we who he says we are not who we say we are so we're going to sing this over ourselves this morning as we celebrate the truth of knowing the acceptance and the love of the father in our lives so Let's, let's worship. Father, we thank you for your love. We thank you for your love, Jesus. Just as we were worshiping there, I felt um, maybe for some of us during that message this morning, the idea of having a good father is a challenging idea and concept. Um, maybe due to us not having a father around when we were being brought up or maybe due to having not the best of experiences with our father. I feel like the Lord today wants to, to heal your heart from those wounds and remind you 
of your heavenly Father, the Father that will never run out on you, the Father that loves you unconditionally. He wants to remind you of that this morning. So we're gonna pray for that just before we close. But I also feel like there is an invitation for the men in this community to be fathers to people in our community and people in our city that the Lord is going to open your eyes and make you sensitive to the people around you that maybe need that father figure. And you know what? That's going to cost. That's going to cost time. It's going to um, maybe not fit into your perfect plan at, at the minute that you have for your week. But the Lord is inviting us, men in the community, to be fathers in our community, to be fathers in our city, to the fatherless, to the people that haven't experienced a good father, to show them what that is. So as we close this morning, I'm gonna pray that the Father, that our Heavenly Father would come and heal those wounds that we maybe have, but that we would say yes to the invitation to be a father to the fatherless in our community and in our city. So why don't you close your eyes as we pray to close. God, we thank you for your love, the unending unending love, God, that you have for us. And God, I pray for everybody in this community and God, further still, I pray for everybody in our city that has not had the experience of having a good father, who hasn't had the experience of a father, maybe because they've run out on them or haven't treated them well. But God, I pray that this morning, God, that you would come and that you would be a father to them. God, that you would heal those wounds, God. God, that you would pour out your love upon them now, God. That they may know your acceptance this morning, God. And God, I pray for the men in our community, God. May we respond to the invitation that you have for us, God, to be the father to the fatherless, God. God, may we lay down our plans. God, may we um, say yes to what you're doing, God. God, give us the courage and the boldness and the sensitivity, Lord, to see the people around us in our community, in our workplace, in our city, God, that needs a father figure, God. And may we go above and beyond for them to show them the reckless love of God, the unending love of God. So, Father God, we thank you for everything that you've done this morning, God. I pray, God, that you would continue to remind us this week and the months and days ahead, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of your love. Remind us who we are. And before we do anything, God, that you love us and that you approve of us. So God, fill us up with your presence and with your love this morning as we leave today. We pray this all in your precious name.